0: Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode. You can follow me on social media at Galen Trombley. I hope you enjoy the show. Great tables. Please hold for a
1: very important message. Light speed sequence initiated. How oh, may I help you? Bonjour. Security breach. The truth shall set you free. <laughs> Awesome.
0: It's a miracle. Save Three, two, one. Mission complete. Thank you. Have a nice day. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is episode 256 of the Galen Trombley Show. Um, I'm looking forward to this one because I've been trying to have um, a priest on for... I, I was just telling Father Ted here for a couple years now, and um, Father Ted is now the first Priest that I've ever had as as a guest on the show, and I grew up uh, Catholic. uh, Went to church all my life. Um, You're actually the priest at my um, Sacred Heart, which is where I Mm -hmm. went for 18 years of of, uh, that I can remember. Mm -hmm. I I think I got baptized a week into life, so it was a very young uh, baptized baby. But um, so Father Ted for people to and Father Ted Crosby full name, but Father Ted for people that do not know who you are. How'd you get here? Give us, give us the background.
1: Well, um, I'm the, um, the pastor of Sacred Heart Church in Chazy and of St. Joseph's Church uh, in West Chazy. And I've been assigned to these two churches now for about eight years in June. Um, previously, I was in Line Mountain uh, for almost 10 years, in at the same time. And then I was ordained, and I should go back to the beginning probably, uh, I was ordained in, the year, in August of 2000. Bishop Barberito, yep, and um, and I was I spent four years in Watertown, a year and a half in Lowville and their environs, and then um, a year in Malone, and then I went to Line Mountain as pastor there for nine and a half years. Ellenberg. I picked up Ellenberg after uh, after about a year. I was in Line Mountain, so I was there about oh, about eight eight and a half years or so, almost uh, eight and a half years or so. And then I said I've been here in Chazy, West Chazy since uh, June of uh,
0: 2016. So I want to go, go back. You're from Phelps, New York. That's right. And so Phelps, I'm looking on the map now. I, I was not aware of where it was, but it's down by Canandaigua? Yeah, Finger Lakes, Finger Lakes area. Yep. S- so are you, um, and h- I should say, how long did you live in uh, Phelps? Well, I was in Phelps. Well, my, um,
1: I, was, um, I, I was born in 70, 1970, um, I grew
0: up in Phelps, and basically I lived there until I went off to school. Okay, and when you were a child, I mean, at what point did you decide that you wanted to become a priest? And how does that—what like. got you into that? What made you want to become a priest? Well, you
1: know, I must must have been about five or six when I first really thought about it. And part of it was just watching the priest at Mass. I just just like to watch the priest come out with the vestments on and say the prayers and go through the rituals and all that. And, you know, I mean, uh, we were faithful Catholics. We went to Mass every Sunday and the Holy Days, and on Lent, during Lent and uh, on Fridays, we didn't eat meat, gave stuff up for Lent. But we weren't fanatical, <laughs> you know. I mean, didn't, we, we never said the Rosary at night, mm-hmm. we never said grace before dinner, uh, anything like that. Um, we did the basics. Um, but I was always, always, always intrigued by the, you know, by, the, by the mass and by the celebration of sacraments. And growing up, my mother... Actually,
0: uh, Father Ted, if you want to, you pull that mic away from your face, it might be a little... Sure. You're using this one there. How's that? It, oh. Perfect. I was going to say, if it's bothering you, you can pull it away. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> by, uh, my mother, um, I remember
1: finding her when I was just a little kid, probably four or five, six years old, her old Latin-English Missal. Of course, I couldn't read the Latin... I barely read some of the English, but I like the pictures, you know, the Stations of the Cross and the Mysteries of the Rosary and so on. And so I always, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I was always interested in, in the Catholic faith. It wasn't the only thing I thought about doing. I thought for a while about going into politics, maybe into law, something like that. But when I was a teenager, the funniest thing happened. I, was, I must have been about 14, 15. I was just flipping through the radio stations. Just looking for um, something just to listen to, and I came across and it used to be in Rochester. They aired the Family Rosary every night at 6:30, and I just I just you know heard the prayers, Hail Mary, full of grace. I just for some reason just started listening. I didn't pray along, but I mm-hmm. st- just started listening, and then it became a habit. And on every night, I would say I tu- I turn on the radio, listen to the Rosary, and then finally began to say it on my own. Then all these thoughts about going into the seminary came back, about going into the priesthood. So I ended up at Wadhams Hall uh, in, in Augsburg, and then I was there for a couple years. And took a little detour. Was this after high school? The, this after high school, okay. yeah. And um, I took a little detour because I wasn't sure if I wanted to become a diocesan priest or a religious order priest. Um, one of my uh, favorite. Uh, saintly authors was St. Alphonsus Liguori, he was an Italian uh, redemptorist who lived in, well, let's see, I think he died 1787, and he was a prolific writer. Uh, Actually, I think uh, Shakespeare is the closest competitor that he's got to the number of uh, book of, you know, published uh, editions that his writings have been published, and he wrote about a whole bunch of different subjects, mostly devotional subjects like the Sacred Heart or the Blessed Mother or whatever. And uh, what I liked about Alphonsus was uh, how it was it was very soundly based on good theology and, and the scriptures, but there is a very strong, there's a passionate emotional side to it. Now he of course he was he was Italian, he was Spanish. So he had that Mediterranean temperament, and uh, and this came out in his writings. I mean, he was just a passionate man, I suspect. And you know, just reading him, you can't help but fall in love with God, uh, especially in the ways that God, as Alphonsus explains it, uh, describes the ways that the ways God is speaks about the ways that God has loved us. You know, first of all, in the work of creation. Uh, you know, God put us in this beautiful world, this beautiful universe.
0: He didn't have to do
1: that. He made everything beautiful. He made the world we live in beautiful. He put us in beautiful surroundings. Um, and Franciscan St. Bonaventure used to say that really, creation is the first Bible. Uh, that really, if you look at creation... Uh, you can really come to believe, you know, you can come to believe in God just by thinking about, just by looking around everything that God has made, how beautiful it is, how well-ordered it is, you know. Well, anyway, Alphonsus said creation is one of the ways that God shows his love for us. And then, of course, most of all, the person of Jesus. And Jesus, in particular, shows his love for us in, in four in distinct ways. First of all, coming to us as a baby. The first Christmas, you know, Christmas Eve baby yourself, you can appreciate yeah. that, yeah. you know, um, that God chose to come into the world as a little one because God didn't want to be uh, feared. He wanted to be loved. And, you know, being a dad yourself, you know, nobody's intimidated by a baby. Everybody's drawn to a baby uh, you know, you see the most stoical, sober-minded, serious person. They're handed a baby, and they just turn into a pile of goo. <laughs> you know? <Yep. laughs> they're, they're, they're drawn to a little one. Nobody's afraid or put off by a baby. And that's why God became a little one at the first Christmas, so that we'd be drawn, we see his littleness, his tenderness, and be drawn to him in love. The second uh, means that God shows his love for us in Jesus is the cross. You know, that 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 little baby would grow up, he'd have to leave his mother's arms and leave the warmth of the silent night of the little town of Bethlehem and become a man. And, you know, we come into the world to live. He came into the world to die. So that Jesus' destiny really was Good Friday. When Jesus, even though he was innocent, took upon himself our sins. He loved us that much, that he took upon himself our sins and was willing to die. And the thing about the cross that Alphonsus points out is that, you know, for our salvation, uh, Jesus didn't have to suffer that miserable death. He could have stubbed his toe. He could have had a paper cut. He could have had, an you know, a hangnail. That would have been more than enough to save the world over and over again. But God wanted to prove his love for us and that so And that by embracing that awful, you know, the passion, the, the death he went through, you know, that, which I think most of us don't appreciate until we've seen Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. I think, that's a, I, think that's, um, I think that's not so much a movie, but really a two-hour prayer, a meditation on the passion of Christ and on the love of Christ, not just on what he suffered and how he suffered, but why. Why did he suffer like that? To prove his love for us beyond all doubt. Of course, the third great proof is the Holy Eucharist. We celebrate it Mass. You know that Jesus, at the Last Supper, takes the bread, the wine, and changes it into his body and blood, and passes that power on to his priests, on to his church. So that 2,000 years later, people can still have the same experience that the disciples had at the Last Supper when Jesus gave them his body and his blood in Holy Communion. And that Jesus chooses to remain with us in the Blessed Sacrament. So that if you walk into Sacred Heart Church in Chazy or St. Joseph Church in West Chazy or any of the churches, any any Catholic church anywhere, and you see the little red light by the tabernacle, you know Jesus is there. And he's there in person, so to speak, you know, body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's not just a symbol, you know, it's the, the real body and blood of Christ. So he becomes our food and he becomes our companion in the Holy Eucharist. And, of course, the fourth great proof is Mary. Uh, as if, as if uh, becoming a little baby and dying for us and becoming our food and our companion in the, in the blessed sacrament isn't enough to prove how much he loves us, he gives us Mary. Uh, you know, from the cross, as uh, Jesus was dying on the cross, hanging there on the cross, dying. His mother and John the apostle were standing there at the cross. And remember Jesus said to to Mary, Woman, there is your son, and then to John the the apostle, there is your mother. So the way the Catholic Church understands this is at the cross, Jesus gives us his mother to be our mother. And that just as Mary helped to shape Jesus into the kind of man God wanted him to be. So he's he's entrusted to Mary the task of shaping us into the kind of Christians that He wants us to be, the kind of Christian men and women that Jesus wants us to be. And we see Mary already in the scriptures taking on this role as mother of Christians, mother of the church, because she's there at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes down upon the apostles and the church comes into being. We celebrate Pentecost as the church's birthday. And you know who's there praying with the apostles? We see this in the Acts, of the, the books of the in the book of the Acts of the apostles. We see Mary there; with the, she's there praying with the apostles. So you know it was Alphonsus Ligori to make a long story even longer. Um, that uh, just you know this really set me on fire with love for God, and uh, and brought me closer you know to Jesus and and also to to Mary for that matter. I, I was with the Redemptorist Order that Alphonsus founded for about about a year or so. I was down in Whitestone, New York. I think it was the Diocese of uh, Brooklyn, as I remember. And um, I love the Redemptorist, I love their the preaching charism, I love their the, the charism they have, which is mostly preaching missions and staffing parishes. But you know, I'm a I'm a country boy. Um and the town I grew up in, maybe five thousand people. Um, Phelps is known; used to be known for being the sauerkraut capital of the world. Sauerkraut. <laughs> sauerkraut, of all things. I just had that the other day in uh, Canada
0: on, did, on my smoked meat sandwich. Did, did
1: you? <laughs> it was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, there, there's, there's nothing to make a nothing to make a young boy think about the priesthood. <laughs> than to then go out in the middle of July and smell on a hot humid July day and smell the <laughs> sauerkraut being made across town. You know, that, if there's one thing that pushes you toward a different career, that's it. But anyway, you know, I, I'm a country kid. And um, so I knew that wouldn't, I, so I was there for a year. I tried another community for, I wasn't there maybe for a couple of weeks, just kind of trying it out in Kentucky called the Fathers of Mercy. That wasn't, that wasn't my thing. And I happened to come back to Wadhams Hall a year after when I just finished in the Redemptorists for um, for some classmates' graduation, and Bishop Laverde see me, saw me and he's got a memory; he remembers everybody, and he knew me, he remembered me by name. I wasn't one of his seminarians technically. I happened to be a Wadham Scholar, but I didn't, I didn't belong to the to the Augsburg Diocese. And he asked me. He said, "What have you been doing?" I said, "Well, I said I've been with the Redemptorists." And he asked me the strangest question. He said, "Are you still with them?" which I thought, that's kind of an odd question, because I, I left. I had left the Redemptorist. I just That wasn't my vocation. And I said, no. And he said, well, maybe you'll think about joining the diocese up here, which is what I ended up doing. So um, I spent some time in Governor, St. James, the seminary, the Cathedral is a seminary, and then that fall I went to Christ the King in Buffalo, East Aurora, technically, and then I was ordained a deacon in December of 99, Feast of the Immaculate Conception, December 8th, and a priest August 12th of the next year. Bishop Laverde ordained me a deacon, Bishop Barbarito to the priesthood. And I set up in Watertown, Lowville, Malone, Line Mountain, Ellenberg, and now Shazie, West Shazy so,
0: so how does, um, <clears throat> like when you so Wadhams Hall in Augensburg was mm-hmm. the first place you went? Yes. So that that is... The equivalent of college for the priesthood, basically, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah.
1: Um, you know, some uh, uh, and the of course it's it's closed now. It's no longer a seminary college. Now they basically use it use it as kind of a multi-purpose building, but they use it for retreats and things like that. So it's it's still it's still in use, thank God. But um, that um, but it was um, and the, the good thing about that about Wadham's Hall was was that we had. Um, we had men who were there from not just our diocese, but also Buffalo diocese, some, some of the Canadian dioceses. So you get to meet a good cross-section of guys, you know, from around the state and even outside the country too, for that matter, so it was good.
0: How many, uh, like in, in your, cl- or they go by classes? Yes. Per, so yeah. the um, going to Wadhams, how many um, other, I guess, were you consider yourself students at the time? Yeah, we were yeah we were students. Uh, we well uh, we
1: we took all of our classes there, right there on site, and um, of course then they had a lot more priests, and you know so they they could actually assign priests for full time seminary work. Um, so all of our teachers, I'm trying to remember most all of our teachers they were priests. We also had uh, some sisters and I also some lay teachers as I remember, um, and they were they were all good. Probably the some of the best. Best education I've ever had came at Wadham's Hall, and of course the good thing about that is um, a lot of the priests that were our teachers there, you know, now they're my you know brother priests in ministry too, you know. So it's kind of like you come full circle almost.
0: So um, when you get or or how many was was there total when you went? (laughs) Well,
1: now in my now I can't remember the total number of students from you know from the first year to the to the fourth year. Um, it seemed like there were maybe 17 when I graduated. Now, um, in my class, I was considered a pre-theologian. So there were two, there were two of us. Um, Well, actually, there were four who graduated that year. And I think two of us were were pre-theologians, but there were four in my class anyway. And when you say pre-theologians, what's the... What's that referencing? <clears throat> well, meaning that uh, once once you're done with pre-theology, you go right into the major seminary. Major seminaries where you get your masters. Okay. So, um, when I went to Christ the King, I got my my, MDiv, my masters of divinity there.
0: And that is required to become a priest. You have to go through all the way through yeah. The
1: masters. Yeah, you've got to have. Uh, you have to have at least. Uh, now, my understanding is now, is you have to have um, a, a college degree. And then you uh, then you get your master's on top of that. Used to be in the old days, before you know, before the changes in the '60s, um, you had to have basically your your undergraduate degree was in was in philosophy. The idea being that you know if you that that. to, to do theology, you have to learn how to think and how to think logically. Mm-hmm. Because really, you know, th- what we believe as Catholics, as Christians, isn't just based on, you know, stuff we pull out of the air. Um, you know, one of the, something that I don't think is often understood about, about the Christian religion is that, you know, it's not just based on faith, it's also based on reason. That, uh, like I said a moment ago about creation, you know, I mean, a, a person... Can look at creation and if they're thinking logically they have to start thinking well how did this get here I mean and, and you know you think about I remember reading something like think about the human eye now I'm not saying I don't believe in evolution but uh, but I do believe that you know that God guided the process of evolution you know I just I just don't I just don't believe that everything got here by some accident it's the same equivalent as you know, the old example of you put a monkey in front of a typewriter and he bangs on the keys, and out comes the works of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about as sensible as that. I mean, you look at the beauty, the order of nature, of creation, and you know how, you know, take like the Earth, for example. The Earth is just the right distance from the sun for life to thrive. If it was a little closer, life couldn't survive. A little farther away, it couldn't survive. But you know, but the earth is just the right distance away from the sun, so human life can, you know, so life can thrive on this, on this, you know, on our planet. Like, but like the human eye, like us, I mean, just you know, the intricacies of it. I've had eye, you know, eye surgeries and so on, and I'm always amazed by that. Um, just, you know, uh, how could, how could such a delicate thing as the human eye And yet, something so complicated—how could it just come into being by itself? There, there had to be some, some creator, some intelligent and wise creator. And looking at creation, the beauty of it, he also has to be beautiful. But you know, how could we? How could this? All of this get here without someone intelligent and wise and good and beautiful himself? Guiding it into existence. See. So, you know, so that was Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas's idea, you know, that you can use your reason and realize there's a God. Now, but the gray matter and can only tell us so much. So uh, this is where faith takes over. Faith allows us to see the whole picture. So by reason, I mean I can't I can't know that. You know that uh, that that there that there are three persons in one God, the Trinity. I can't know that by reason. That's something we need faith. You know, God has to, God has to turn the light on, so to speak, so we can see the full picture. Um, and so, you know, so the, you know this this is uh, so we study philosophy because we you know we, we have to we have to we have to be able to think logically because you know once again. You know, our Catholic faith, our Christian faith, is based on, obviously, on faith, on God's revelation, but also on human reason. You know, that, that faith, you know, that uh, faith and reason go hand in hand together.
0: That That's always, uh, you know, again, I, I grew up, you know, with a uh, Catholic and you go to church <clears> and, you know, you learn everything. And I think at the, when I was younger, I think a lot of it is um, it's tough to grasp as a kid. Yes. And I think, yes. I think one of the things, you know, the homilies and, and you know me now as a 30 something year old versus a 13 year old way different mm-hmm. concept and I sure um and I think that was something that I always I never picked up as a child mm-hmm. I think um but as I've gotten older and you start looking at the faith you start looking at um like what do you say creation or evolution or afterlife or not afterlife right. and all these things and I think a lot of it especially um, cuz I I like um you know I like like you said I like like uh you know, or what was the term you used uh, like psychology, or not psychology, but like philosophy. I like you know theology. I like I like learning about that stuff, and I think mm-hmm. there is a lot to it. Where I think there's more interconnectedness than I think it's not black yeah, and white. I think right. there's, and as I've gotten older, the same thing. I'm like I do believe in you know the science and the evolution, but I also believe that there's got to be something, um, especially when you start. You know, I I, I want to save this for another discussion later sure. in the podcast, but. When you start talking about, like, life after death and you hear these accounts of, you know, whether a, a medium, like speaking to someone on the other side or people that have gone to the point where they're basically, you know, you hear the stories of people that, like, kind of basically died and came back mm-hmm. and you hear, um, you know, what they account or what they're, they're recounting and, um, you know, there, there's something to be said by it. And like you said, it's like the light's not turned on so we don't see the full picture. Um, but I, I do think there's more more involved and i think a lot of and whether you're religious or not i think everybody's trying to find some type of reason for a lot of things right. in life and people obviously have different ways of going about it the way i've looked at it and i try to be like you said kind of logical is a lot of people have different variations of what they think but there's a lot of interconnectedness in how people talk and how they explain it and i think a lot of it is not saying like you say you know, if God created everything, it's almost like, well, that's not, how can you say that it's not scientifically proven, but you can also point at a lot of things that currently there's still like undefined answers for them. And not to say that we couldn't figure something out down the road, which we've obviously know more now than we ever have. In, in, but I do think there's a level of, like you said, you may never know because maybe you're not supposed to know. And maybe there is a level of you will know in time. And I think that's, something that has kind of fascinated me fascinated me more over the last handful of years um the idea of you know us now as you know living you know in in the figures that we you know my body you know you live in your body and the world and what we see as, as surroundings but you know our <coughs> excuse me like let's say we're on earth for 80 to 100 years well that's a blink of an eye in this in the form of of the world or, or universe or whatever and or history so then you look at it as is do things continue on and if you know you hear the scientific evidence as you know everybody you know eventually dies and your body breaks down and your energy from your body actually goes back into the earth so the, the idea is that we still have we have you know uh, you know matter inside of us that is 13 billion years old and so if you look at that and you're like okay if that's the case you know, we aren't any more special than 100 years ago or a thousand years ago. You're still an organism living on this planet. That I do think that even though we have no memory of that, who's to say? Is when we go down and there's some type of afterlife that you might just, you know, whether you do there's a heaven and a hell, but maybe you go into it and then you are reborn as something different, or you kind of keep the world going. Um, so I've, i th- these are all thoughts that I've had. Is like if you die, are you then, you know, reborn? in some other capacity or maybe a mixture some of me merges with some of you merges with someone else and we make a new human or whatever but i do think that there's this cycle cycle that keeps um, playing over and over throughout history and now and i think a lot of that has to do with and it could just be scientific it could be that there is you know um, a faith that component of it but i think a lot of it is more interconnected than i think we can grasp currently as as humans, I is that something that you think i mean you've done this way more than and th- i'm sure thought about this i mean hours and hours and hours, years at this point right the thoughts of like this
1: yeah, i mean you know you i guess uh, you know it's 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 just um it's it's not something that I actually sit down and say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna ponder this for the next half hour." <laughs> try to figure it out you, you yeah. know you know it's something that uh, i mean i, I think is something that's you know that's that's always it's always it's, i think is something that's it's always um, you know you're always pondering without even realizing it um you know i i think i think ultimately at least, at least i think for me one of the um, one of the great proofs of um you know that there that there is a, you know that there is a god is that, um, you know, there is no such thing as perfect happiness in this world. Um, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, I mean, you think about someone who has... Uh, this, say they have everything they want. Um, but it's like there's still something missing, though. There's still something... And some of the spiritual writers have described, described us as having a God-shaped hole in our hearts in our in our souls. It's so that something that, uh, that you know, doesn't matter how much you know how much uh, how much pleasure we have in our life, how much money we have, how much fun we have, um, just how much of anything we have. There's still something missing. There's still something this. And I, you know, that that's I mean, as a human being, that's certainly my experience. You know, um, I mean, I have I I have a wonderful life, uh, great friends, great family and great job, great parishioners, you know, and so on. But there's there's always something this there's always something it's like I'm not quite complete yet. And I think and I think that's and I and I don't think that will be I don't think I don't think I'll experience that completion as a human being until I'm god willing and heaven with god <laughs> you
0: know i don't want to presume anything here Sam. No. um so again I, I want to kind of come back i have some questions i want to ask and i'm sure i, I sure. like i said i do want to hear a lot of you know your thoughts and opinions on things but um regarding just like the day-to-day job like can you give mm-hmm. us an idea of like what's what's a normal week might look however you want to say okay. it, whether it's a day whether okay. it's a week whether it's, it's well, time it's, of year well it's the Let's take it day by day. Yeah, <laughs> rather, yeah, rather than week.
1: By, On Tuesdays week. you do podcasts, right? That's, right, yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's, that's a that's a that's a given. That's your media that, day. That's, yeah. that's right. <laughs> well, yeah, now we'll take a, say like well we'll take a, we'll, we'll take a take a, a Monday or a Tuesday. All right. Um, Monday morning, I, I get up about six o'clock and uh, feed myself, put my dog out. And I, and I, uh, you know, try to try to try to put a little thought into what I want to say during my homily during the morning mass. Um, I have mass at nine o'clock on Monday and Friday at uh, St. Joseph's, and then Tuesday, Thursday at St. A uh, Sacred Heart, and that Wednesday I take off. Uh, but um, so you know, so in the morning it's the typical things that anybody else does. You know, I get up, I. uh, take care of my personal hygiene I feed myself, I put my dog out feed the dog and then you know my thoughts kind of go toward the Mass I look at the readings and think about pray me pray about the readings a little bit you know, um, if there's a particular saint that day, maybe do a little quick reading or something I'll do that sometimes the night before too um, about the particular saint, because we have all these saints, you know we celebrate during the year and uh, I, I've heard a lot of in seminary, anyway, a lot of homilies uh, about on the feast of the saints. They never even mention them. So you know, we celebrate Saint Anthony, Saint Clare, Saint Francis, and all these other saints. And you know, who are they? You know, why do we why do we bother celebrate celebrate them? Mostly, well, so we celebrate them because they, you know, they have something to say. Um, either their their own words of their thinking of their writings but most particular the way they live their lives that's that, that that's how they speak to us you know that's how they're relevant to us so that's uh, you know so and of course they uh, I say the I say the morning mass and they're, they're prayers that every priest and every priest deacon bishop has to say and many religious sisters do also uh, uh, called the divine office uh, the liturgy of the hours and it's made up of psalms and other readings some scriptures and from the church fathers and saints and so on. I mean, we read those off and on throughout the course of the day. It takes about maybe an hour all total, but they're supposed to break it up so that way, you know, the every part of the day is made is sanctified, made holy.
0: And this is every day. This is every day. Yeah, so, this, this be every day. And you do this by
1: yourself. Yeah. Now, now, monks and nuns well, they'll they'll say these prayers together. Okay. Um, actually, the liturgy of the hours, as we know it today. Actually as we have it today it goes back to an, actually an ancient Jewish practice um, but the Christians the Christian monks uh, kind of kind of took it on as part of their daily routine of prayer. Um, the monks gathers usually seven times a day we, uh, we diocesan priests usually uh, you know we, we live by ourselves, so you know we say our, we, we say our prayers. You know, sometimes as as we get to them in the course of the day, depends on what the day is like. So you know, so lots of times in the in the, in the mornings I'm in my office, um, whether it's St. Joseph's or Sacred Heart. Um, lots of times in the uh, in in the afternoon, well, like today, of course, I'm here in Plattsburgh. Um, I. Uh, uh, sometimes in the afternoon, I'm, I'm at, like, especially when I'm home at St. Joseph's. Um, you know, I'm oftentimes times at my at my desk, you know, in the office. Or, you know, if I have uh, if I have uh, sick calls I need to make, or um, if there if I have to if there's some um, uh, or if I have to have some you know like personal like my personal my shopping that kind of thing I'll take care of that in the afternoon. Sometimes doctors' appointments, things like that. Um and then on uh and then in the afternoon I always check in over the office at St. Joseph's before I then about four o'clock, four thirty, I go back to the rectory and, and usually in the evening if unless there's something going on, that's that's less of times. That's that's my own personal time. Um and uh how I spend that personal time has changed a lot in the in the last um few years. Um I mentioned before we went on air that, um, you know, for me, my life began, my, a lot of things, when I hit 40, everything, <laughs> everything began to go in decline. You're just wa- uh, warning me uh, about that. You know, that, yeah. And, uh, so I find, I find it now, um, <laughs> I find that very often now I'll sit down in my chair and I'll turn on the TV and I'll fall asleep. Funny thing about that is, you know, my father, my father was a, worked for the highway department and his part-time farmer too. And he'd come home every night about 4.30, and we'd have dinner. He'd sit down in his recliner and read the paper, turn on the TV. Well, within a few minutes, he was asleep. <laughs> and by 8.30, he went to bed. 8.30, 9 o'clock, he was in bed. We used to laugh at him, like, what are you doing? You're, going to, you're already asleep by 6.30, and then you go to bed and you sleep. So, but now I do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that's coming for you know, too. The, the, oh, yeah. the, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> but, um, but, w- what I, um, but one thing I like about, um, one thing I really enjoy about the life of the priest is, is just every day is different. You know, there's, in a lot of ways, Galen, there's no such thing as a typical day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one phone call can change your day um like if you know like if i get a sick call if somebody's dying somebody needs the priest to come these things that we we can't foresee that uh, you know i get up in the morning you know who knows what's going to happen that day uh, and that's and that's you know that's that's part of the uh that's one of the things i enjoy about uh, about the priesthood
0: so Masses again uh, Monday, Tuesday, th- Thursday, Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday. Well, Saturday we we don't have any mass in the morning.
1: Uh, it's still about either, either a four o'clock. One? We have four o'clock in the afternoon. Yep. We because um, we, uh, we start the the Sunday cycle there on Saturday afternoon. So we have I have mass at four o'clock at St. Joe's. And then uh, in the morning, Sunday morning, eight o'clock is Sacred Heart, ten o'clock back at St. Joseph's, confessions before the mass on Saturday, and then the Sacred Heart mass on Sunday.
0: Um, So yeah, so then you also look at confessions. Are those predetermined times, or are those when? Yeah,
1: well, we have we have uh, from three to three forty-five scheduled every Sunday at St. Every Saturday, St. Joseph's, and then Sunday morning seven fifteen till about quarter of eight.
0: Do you ever have people that just call you on a whim and just say, I'd like to just talk with you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yep. you just do one-on-ones and a- you just come a- over and absolutely. chat? Absolutely. And, you know, and, and I always tell people, and I
1: think it's in our bulletin, too, that um, like with confession, I mean, you know, it's, it's scheduled hours, but it, basically any time on request. So if somebody show, I mean, uh, somebody shows up at the door and they want to go to confession, I get this a lot of Easter time, Christmas time, you yeah. know. Um, absolutely, unless I'm running off to a funeral or a sick call or I have to be someplace, Ordinarily, nine times out of ten, you know, I'm free for their confession, or if, or if they just want to come talk. Um.
0: So, I, yeah, I got a lot. So, if you, I, well, let's yeah, let's take it day to day. So, and a lot of it's filled in funerals, weddings, baptisms. Those mm-hmm. just kind of fill in afternoons, mornings, depending on mm-hmm. what's available. Yeah,
1: most of our well, of course, most of our baptisms and our weddings will, will take place on the weekend. Mm-hmm. So Saturdays, you know, our wedding days, usually for the usually people like to get married on Saturday, like Saturday early afternoon, late morning. Baptisms, usually we do those after, ma- after one of the Sunday Masses. Um, and then funerals kind of fit in? Funerals kind of, you know, whatever, you know, um, usually that's, of course, that's something you never plan for. Mm-hmm um but usually those are on we usually you know we do those we we're not permitted to do funerals on sunday um but uh pretty much anytime monday through saturday we could we could
0: have a we could have a funeral uh, now regarding um studying so obviously you know the the bible bible's you know mm. old, an old old book at this point and been around many years um how often are you reading the Bible? How often are you studying the Bible? How often are you, you know, trying to, I guess, like, what do you do for, I don't know, do you guys have, like, continuing education? Is it more of, you know, like I said, just kind of studying and just trying to understand everything, you know, at a deeper well, level? Well, you know, I, I think um, now
1: that we have every year in the, um, we, the, all the priests at ISIS get together, and as part of our continuing ed, they, they have a speaker come in. We'll get together, you know, for three, four days, um, like plastic used to be, they'll use like Plastid sometimes to go to Wadham's Hall and they'll have a speaker come in and talk about different things. Um, sometimes it's about the scriptures, sometimes about the spirituality of the uh, of the priest, um, sometimes about the liturgy or maybe a particular moral issue, you know, that's, current, that's currently being discussed. Um, but a lot of it a lot less lot of that is left to our own you know our own you know interpretation uh, interpretation or... like to our own well I guess you know our I guess our level of, of interest in continuing you know that education um, now myself I'm uh, I you know I I don't uh, I, I haven't picked up a theology textbook and probably wanna say I've been ordained for twenty four years in August, so twenty four years. <laughs> um, you know, but I but I you know, but I, I still keep up, you know, with um, Catholic newspapers and periodicals and spiritual works and things like that. And and the scriptures, the prayer, like I mentioned, the divine office, that that's pretty much all scripture. It's all psalms and bible readings. And of course in the Mass we get the you know, the, the daily mass readings too.
0: Do you read through the Bible just like cover
1: to cover? As you, I've, you know, I've I, I've tried it, and I've I've never gotten any 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 further than the Book of Numbers. And if you've read the Book of Numbers, you know why, <laughs> because uh, basically that's what it is. It's a uh, you know it's uh, it's all of the it's many of the little um, the little rules of the Law of Moses, and it gets you know it's very very it's just I mean genesis is fascinating exodus is fascinating but then you get into like i say you get into numbers which is you know all the legal stuff and that's not quite as and there's you know there that's um and it's harder to apply a lot of that you know to our to our daily life um but i've never actually sat down to read the scriptures cover to cover
0: even in school,
1: e- even in school, we—I uh, mean, we, we read it. Uh, I mean, we—you know, we, we, we read most of the books to the scriptures, you know. So um, first, we had the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and then, then sp- further along we got, then we went to the New Testament. So the Old, New Testament, we read that in its entirety, which is which, which isn't which isn't that difficult, um, because it's very fam- it's familiar to us, you know, the story of Jesus and the early church and so on. And Saint Paul's, Paul's writings, but the the Old Testament. Um, you know, we're all familiar with Moses, and I mean, obviously Adam and Eve, and Abraham, and uh, Noah, and uh, King David, and Solomon, and the judges, and so on, and the prophets like Isaiah. But there, are, but there's a lot, you know, a lot in the Old Testament that. You know, probably never. I mean, we don't read it at mass. We don't read it in the in the in the liturgy of the hours. So, unless you actually are committed to reading the entire Bible, um, cover to cover, um, you may never you may never actually read it.
0: So, and I, I'm I'm reading some I guess stats here on the Bible. I say stats, some information on it. So. There's twenty three thousand one hundred and forty five verses in the Old Testament and seventy nine hundred in the New. So the Old is significantly longer. Yes, um, twenty six verses per chapter, four hundred seventy one verses per book. Um, how many books are there in a in the Bible? Let's well, say let's say the New Testament. Let's see now the New Testament, I believe there are twenty seven. And we could consider those roughly like chapters of the book. Well,
1: that well there be there be twenty seven diff, different books. Although so like you got the four Gospels. Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Acts of the Apostles. And um, basically, you know, the Gospels, you know, the life of Jesus, death and, death and resurrection teachings of Jesus, Acts of the Apostles, you know, roughly the first 25 years to the early church after the resurrection. And then, but most of the New Testament is, is letters that Paul wrote, St. Paul wrote to different churches. So like, you know, his letter to the Romans, he wrote to the Christians of Rome, or uh, the Corinthians, the church in the two letters to the Corinthians, to the church in Corinth in Greece, or the um, you know the letter to the Ephesians to the you know Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey, and of course there are some other uh, letters, and there, also by uh, three by John the apostle, two by Peter the apostle, and one by Jude. Also, um, and of course the last book is the uh, uh, the book of Revelation which is in kind of a class by itself. Um, that, that's that's the most, probably the most mysterious book of the, in, the entire New Testament, if not the entire Bible. And I remember I was first talking about going to the priesthood when I was a teenager, talking to my parish priest back home. He told me, he said, every day, every day he said, read your Bible, but he said, don't read the book of Revelation because you'll end up starting your own religion. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's so it's so mysterious and it's so and it's so there's so much symbolic language and so much you know this is where we get uh, you know uh, oh and it's the, the final you book. know it's the last book of the Bible so the, the this this is where you know the six 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 comes from and you know and the and the beasts um, and you know the um, you know a lot, a lot of the apocalyptic images
0: you know, we associate with the end times you know so so the the, the Bible, so right now, if you were to say just which Bible is the one that would probably be the one that you would recommend for people to look if they want to read it, if they wanted to study it, would it be the New Testament?
1: I would definitely start with the New Testament okay
0: um i and I would uh I'd start with
1: the I'd start with the Gospel of Luke okay um not just because that's my favorite gospel, but also because um Luke's got a lot of Jesus' stories that are, you know, that are familiar. You know, we think about, you know, a lot of our terminology, a lot of our termino- terminology that we use, a lot of language that we use comes right from the Bible. You know, so we all know what we're, we all know what someone's talk about when, they, when someone says, he's a good Samaritan. We know that refers to the story Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke about the good Samaritan you know, who rescues, you know, the man who was beaten up by robbers on the way from Jericho or Jerusalem to Jericho. We talk about, you know, the prodigal son, you know, the prodigal son of the family, you know, the the one who has gone wayward, you know, left the fold, left the faith, whatever. And, uh, of course, that comes right from the story, the the parable of the prodigal son, you know, the younger son who asked his father when he stole, the father's still living, give me my share of the inheritance. And he goes off and he blows an unwind women's song. And he comes crawling back because he's hungry, and the father runs out to meet him and welcome him home. You know, the father doesn't make him crawl back and say, "Daddy, I'm sorry." The father runs out to meet him, throws his arms around him, and throws a dinner party for him. You know, so you know, so a lot of our terminology, that we just you know the this the you know the, the 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 expressions that we use they come right from the scriptures, um, and I don't think you can really understand for that matter, Western civilization without knowing something about the Bible or about Christianity. But, I, but going back to the Bible, I would, I'd start with the Gospel of Luke because I think that one, because it's got so many of those wonderful stories in it that Jesus tells. And it also has, I mean, it begins with something familiar, the story of the first Christmas. You know, we all know about the stable and the manger and the shepherds, and you find this in the Gospel of Luke and, you know, most people, whether they're, um, whether they're Christians or not, can tell you, can, can, can probably tell you Jesus was born in a stable and maybe even there were shepherds that showed up that night. This is all in the Gospel of Luke. Um, but uh, you know to start with to start with the gospel of luke and then you know then maybe then maybe read the other the other three gospels too but i would start with the gospels but start with luke mm-hmm. um, and then you know then go on to the acts of the apostles and just, just to see you know how the apostles took the message of jesus took the gospel into the into the whole world you know from you know having you know 12 men and if you look at the apostles and the gospels, what, you know one thing that that to me proves the authenticity uh, that, uh, you know, of the gospel message of the gospel, that Jesus is you know that the gospels are are the real thing, is that the apostles you know the gospels rather, they don't try to whitewash the apostles' faults. If the apostles were writing these narratives on their own. They would never, Peter would never have allowed to be put into in writing that on the night that Jesus was betrayed he three times said, I don't even know the man. Now this was Peter, the rock of the church upon his, upon his faith. Jesus tells Peter in the Gospel of Matthew, you are Peter upon this rock, the rock of your faith, I will build my church, I will build my people. Now if this was all false and Peter wanted to maintain his image as the rock he would never he would never have allowed anyone to put into print that he denied the lord three times and the others would never to maintain their their dignity their authority in the church they would never have allowed the you know Matthew Mark Luke and John to write how they all ran away when Jesus was arrested and how at the cross where were they the only one there was John the others they were in hiding you know um and uh, you know the and again what what happened after Pentecost, you know, if, if the resurrection was a myth that never happened, if that was something they made up, I mean, the, you know, these, the, these were men, none of whom were the sharpest tools in the shed. Um, they all lost faith, and the night that Jesus was arrested after the crucifixion, they all lost their faith, and they were all, they, you know, they all had a big yellow streak up their backs. They, they, were, they were cowardly and timid by nature. Uh, and often very self-centered, the gospel show us how, on the night of Last Supper, Jesus says, "One of you will betray me." They know Jesus is going to die, and what are they? But then, what are they fighting about? Who's gonna who's gonna lead the group after Jesus is gone? Now, if you know, if the, their concern wasn't about Jesus, the concern was, "Okay, after he's gone, who's the, you know who's the who's the who's who's the." Who's the head of the group going to be which one of us is the greatest this is what they're fighting about the night of last supper so you know their their human weakness shows time and time and time and time again so that if the gospels were not if they were you know if they were fiction the apostles wrote these things themselves they would never have let those things be put in there because people say you know the lord chose these you know chose you to be the leaders of his church you know um, so, you know, so you, yes, but, but the Acts of the Apostles shows us how these same men, after the resurrection, they see Jesus, they get their faith back, and the Holy Spirit comes down upon them and fills them with faith and with courage, and then they go and they scatter into the world. Peter goes to Rome. And we don't read this in the Acts of the Apostles as part of our Catholic tradition, but Peter was crucified upside down in Rome this at, was at the vatican at the yeah of the, the side, side of vatican? yep the side of the vatican yeah okay. uh, peter's tomb is under st peter's basilica yeah. in rome and i mean this was a man who said i don't even know the man three times and swore to it i don't even know the man and yet here he is he's willing to die he, he peter would never have been willing to die be crucified for something he knew was a lie he he didn't he didn't he didn't have the guts for that Unless he saw something, you know, unless, you know, he saw something that, you know, that, um, that you know, that opened his heart and mind to faith. Um, so I would start the Gospels, Acts of the Apostles, letters of Paul, I definitely would read those too. Um, and, of course, the letters of John uh, and Revelation, you know, you can, there's no reason why someone shouldn't read that. But I think, uh, but I, think I think for anyone... I would say for a Catholic who's reading the Bible, um, be sure to have a Bible that's got good footnotes and maps and stuff in it, because um, you know sometimes all you get is the text, and you may come across a particular word, name of a town, the name of a person, name of a place, name of like a you know like a Jewish feast or something like that. You know you may not know what it is. And it's good to, and sometimes the way you know the, Jesus speaks in, in different ways of speaking, and so these footnotes can help us to understand you know what the Lord is saying, what Jesus is saying, what we you know what Paul means when he writes this. But you know, so to have a Bible that's got good footnotes in it, and uh, you know, and um, you know, and um, maybe like a like a glossary, or dictionary in the back to define some of these terms.
0: So, and again, I'm looking up Wikipedia here, folks. So this is. Uh you know the the gold standard of my knowledge but the so by so looking at New Testament Old Testament um so a couple questions following up on that so the King's James King James version of the Bible how is that different from Old and New Testament or is it well the the King James version
1: um has both the Old and the New Testament but it's missing some of the books that say like you'd find in the Catholic Bible um now there there are different uh, there are different, uh, explanations that are given for why the uh, why why Martin Luther the you know really the father of the Protestant Reformation left some of the books out. Um, I won't get into that, but um, but the but you know but our Protestant but Protestant folks some of the books that we as Catholics recognize as being divinely inspired as scriptural. They don't they don't see them. They they see them as 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 holy as worthwhile, but not as inspired by the Holy Spirit. And say like Genesis would be, or Matthew would be, or Mark would be, or like uh, Isaiah would be.
0: So those those books you just mentioned are not in King James. Right. You
1: won't find them in the you won't find them in the King James Bible.
0: So the Old Testament and New Testament are, t- are like the two st- standard Bibles mm-hmm. of the Catholic Church.
1: Right, and and also of the. Uh, also, pretty uh, pretty much any uh, any Christian uh, community is going to look to the Old New Testament as their, um, you know, as the um, as as their 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 sacred texts.
0: Now, the Old Testament and New Testament are any of the are, are any of them similar, or are they completely different?
1: Well, the now of course the basically the, the Old Testament um, begins with the creation of, of Adam, and uh, you know starts. starts for,
0: sorry, Father. Ted, are that's, these a, yeah. all these all in order. The correct, because obviously Genesis is first, so I'm assuming yeah, that's... Yeah, that's the first. I'm pretty sure those are the first yeah, five, Exodus yeah. and Le-
1: Levidius, yeah. so, Leviticus. So, yeah, exod- Genesis, uh, right through Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. those are called the, the books of Moses. It traditionally, it was said that Moses himself wrote those books. Now, scriptural scholars today would say he probably didn't. But, um, but then again, they weren't there either, you know. So, um, but Genesis would talk about the creation, and you find, uh, you find Cain and Abel in there and Noah, and then Abraham, like the, Noah and the flood. Abraham, you know, the, basically the father of the Jewish, Christian, and Muslim faith. And then Abraham's son, Isaac. And then Isaac's son, Jacob. And then ja- it's during, during Jacob's time that Jacob, you know, um, ends up, he and, his, he and his family, they end up in Egypt. They go there during a famine. It's a long story. You've got to, yep. When you're when you after the podcast, go, pick up your Bible and go to go to Genesis and
0: <laughs> read it for yourself. So, so if we're if we're looking at just to kind of decipher sure. this, and I'll I'll try to explain to people uh, via verbal here or or oral. But the Old Testament, so 929 chapters. Mm-hmm. A chapter, when you talk about a verse in the Bible. Is each chapter a verse, or are there multiple verses in a chapter?
1: Well, in a chapter, there they're they're going to be multiple verses. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so some, uh, you know,
1: some some chapters are going to be some chapters in both testaments are going to be some are going to
0: be shorter, some are going to be longer. So when we look at, um, so what's it right above Genesis that Mm -hmm. pentateuch? Oh, pentateuch. Yep. Yeah, the pentateuch, meaning the, the the five. Oh, okay, the five, the five. The five books. Yeah, the five books. And then when it goes down to historical books, what's the difference of those? And <laughs> then books of wisdom, and then major. I'm pro- looking at these kind of yeah. headlines here. Well,
1: wisdom, or I should say, the historical books would be basically they they pick off where they, they pick up where after Moses's death. Moses isn't allowed to. Um, Moses has kind of a temper tantrum at one point. Um, the. the uh, the, of course, the you know the, the Israelites they, they try his try the poor man they try his patience time and time and time and time again, and um, uh, and uh, poor Moses, they're in the desert they wander for forty years and there's no water, and the people complain they complain to Moses and you know and God tells Moses Moses. Strike the rock with your staff, the same, same stick you used to part the Red Sea when they escaped Egypt, and water will come out for people to drink. Well, Moses gets kind of hot on the collar. And he says, he said, Listen here, you rebels, you want, me to bring, you want me to bring water for you out of this rock? And he hits the rock twice, not once, but twice. He loses his temper. And so God tells Moses, you didn't, you, know, you didn't do what I told you to do. Therefore, you will not enter the Holy Land. You will not enter the, the, the Promised Land. So Moses dies, and then Joshua, Moses' assistant, picks up from there. And then we, talk, then we have the judges. And the judges, um, after, after the death of Joshua, I think there were 12 judges. I can't remember exactly how many. And then they weren't happy with judges, so they wanted a king like everybody else. Well, Saul becomes the king, but Saul displeases God, and so um, Saul, or God chooses King David, most famous of all the kings, to be. And then after the death of David is his son Solomon, and then after Solomon's death, the kingdom of is Iz- the kingdom of Israel. Well, the uh, it breaks up into two kingdoms: the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel; the southern kingdom was called uh, Judah. And then the prophetic books,
0: um, which are down here,
1: yeah. The well, and the books of wisdom too. Books of wisdom. Now some has, now the Song of Solomon. That's possible. That may have been written by King Solomon. What's unique about and I would I would def- I would recommend the Song of Solomon, because it just it's so beautiful. Um, I'm not sure that the name of God is ever mentioned in the book of Solomon and the songs in the song of Solomon, a song of songs sometimes called what the song of Sol- what makes the song of Solomon unique is, is that basically it's a long love poem between, you know, between a man and a woman, the lover and the beloved. And it uses the image of human romance and human love to describe the relationship that God has with us. That's a wonderful thing because, you know, we don't often think of God as being much of a romantic, but he is, you know, God's a very passionate lover. And, you know, so along, along with your homework after Genesis, read the Song of Solomon, read the Song <laughs> of Solomon, because uh, because it's, it's just, such a, it's just it's such a beautiful, beautiful book. And one of our Catholic saints, St. Saint Bernard, preached about it extensively because there's just so much in there that pertains to the spiritual life. You know how, you know, um, you hear this song, so this, the song of Solomon read at weddings sometimes, you know, like what the passage is, you know, hark my lover, here he comes leaping across the, the meadow like a gazelle or a young stag. Now, I've never seen any groom do that when he's coming into church. But I'm waiting for that to happen, you never know. <laughs> it may happen one of these days. But basically, it's, like I said, it's a love poem, it's a, it's a romance. And it shows the tenderness, the passion of the love between that God has for each one of us, the passion in God, God's heart for us. Um, and also that God, God wants to be loved by us. That's the other thing. God loves us, but he wants to be loved by us. And we don't think about that very much. That God is a passionate lover. He's a passionate lover, but he wants to be loved in return, you know. Um, and so you see this interplay between, between the lover and the beloved in the Song of Songs. Um, and the, uh, the major prophets, uh, major because, of, I mean, they're probably more important, but also their, their books tend to be longer. Isaiah, I think, is maybe the longest book of the Old Testament, I'm not really sure. Yes, it's like, what, 66 chapters there. Mm-hmm. Um, the minor prophets are all, I mean, it's, it's you know, they, you can mostly read those in one setting. And of the list I see here, um, well, probably Jonah is the most famous. You know, Jonah uh, was sent to this pagan city of Nineveh with the message, um, you know, God tells you, change your life, repent, or prepare to suffer. <laughs> You're going to be punished. Now, Jonah being a, an Israelite, he, Jonah hates these pagans. He doesn't want these people to repent, he wants them to fry. <laughs> so th- th- this, this is where Jonah tries to run away and this is where he gets swallowed by the whale for three days, <laughs> three nights, you know. Well finally Jonah fulfills his mission and he goes to the people of Nineveh and he says repent and they do. Jonah's just, uh, he's, he's lovable, he's, just, he's kind of an old crank. Okay. But, but he's a lovable, cantankerous kind of sort. Another beautiful book is Hosea, and it's beautiful because, once again, God uses the image of, you know, God tells Hosea, I want you to marry this prostitute named Gomer. And Gomer is constantly unfaithful to Hosea, and it breaks his heart. So that, but Hosea becomes a symbol of God, and mm-hmm. Gomer becomes a symbol of human beings. That even though we're unfaithful to God, God still loves us, and God is still madly in love with us. And, you know, we talk about the covenant in the Old Testament. You know, this agreement, this contract between God and people. And it's, what makes Hosea beautiful is that it speaks about, and other books of the Bible, the Old Testament do too, speaks of, in terms of this covenant, in terms of a marriage. You know, um, not just a master and a slave. You know, but... The husband and the wife, the lover and the loved one, the you know the lover and the beloved. It's a beautiful thing uh, to read Hosea.
0: Um, so and Father Ted, so on sure. the, the ones on the left, and mm-hmm. I guess um, I'm not seeing a, Again, I'm just looking at this, and there's not a lot of overlap with the same you know titles or same you know people mentioned. I'm I'm right. certainly more familiar with the. New Testament, yes. probably minus the um, the first five books of the Old Testament. Right, is that is that pretty common?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, the uh, you know probably most Christians, um, and, and I put myself in there too. I mean, I just I don't know the Old Testament as well as, what, as well as I know the New Testament because you know the New Testament. I mean, we're you know we're familiar with it. I think one reason why we're familiar with it is just because, like I said, I mean, the story of Jesus and the things he said, the things he did, the parables he told. You know, it's so much, I mean, Western civilization is this, you can't know Western civilization or Western culture without knowing Christianity. I mean, you have to, you know, so, and like I said, you know, I mean, you know, we, most of us know Christmas and, you know, the the first Christmas like with uh, and like easter you know we all know the resurrection matthew mark luke and john whether we know all the details of it what happened and so on um and um but you know but so the old testament and again there, there's there's this, there's this so much there but the old testament you know as christians we would say that the entire old testament leads up to jesus it's all pointing to jesus so that, uh, so that we even, even, you know, Scripture scholars and the saints and the fathers of the church talk about what they call types. So you look at the Old Testament, characters of the Old Testament, and they, would, they might call, say, like, they might call Moses a type of Jesus. In other words, Moses prefigures Jesus in some way. So, for instance, what does Moses do? Moses goes up on the side of the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments. What does Jesus do? in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. He goes up on the mountainside and he gives the nine beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are persecuted, blessed are the peacemakers. So it's like Jesus is the new Moses, you know? So we can look back at the Old Testament, the light of the New Testament, say, you know, this is, um, you know, th- this person prefigures Jesus. You know, like like in the case of King David, you know, the. The first great king of Israel, you know, chosen, he was a shepherd. I'm just going to move this up. Sure. There you go. He was chosen to be a shepherd, you know. And, you know, and what does Jesus call himself? I am the good shepherd. You know, Jesus, um, and, uh, you know, Jesus is, the, uh, Jesus is the, the, we call him the son of David, meaning he's the descendant of King David. His foster father, Joseph, was a descendant of David. And the prophecy was, was that the Messiah, the Savior that God promised, um, would, be the, um, you know, would be a descendant of King David. So Jesus is, is the new David. In fact, in the New Testament, in this Gospels, lots of times you'll hear people call him Jesus, son of David. You know, that's their way of saying, you are the Messiah, you are the Savior, the one that God promised would
0: save us. So what the again, New Testament, I'm, I'm always looking at like Genesis. Sure. like in the beginning, that's how the books mm-hmm. you know, Genesis starts, mm-hmm. but the New Testament would not start that way. Right. The New Testament will start actually, Matthew, kind of interest, kind of an interesting read.
1: Um, we We read it every December 17th, the first 17 verses of the Gospel of Matthew. It's Jesus's family tree. Now most of those names, they won't mean sweet family sweet Fanny Adams to anybody. Because they're all Old Testament names. Some of the names you pick out, like obviously David's mentioned in there, Solomon's mentioned in there. Some of the kings are mentioned in there. And the interesting thing about Jesus' family tree is that not all the people that are mentioned in his family tree are all that saintly. You know, it's, that's one way, one way that, you know, Jesus can relate to us because, you know, I think it's great that we read that reading just before Christmas because then you know we read that the 17th of December. A week later, we're sitting down at Christmas dinner. We look around at our family members and think, "Boy, you know, my my family is a collection of of interesting people too," and Jesus's family was the same way, you know. And that's Matthew's way of reminding us that not just that Jesus is the Son of David, the Son of David, but also you know that Jesus is comfortable with sinners um you know jesus is jesus feels at home with you know with people who do bad things doesn't mean he likes the the bad things they do but you know look at jesus's family tree and um interesting interesting thing about jesus family tree is that matthew includes some women in there Now, traditionally women have never been included in the man's family tree Mm -hmm. for instance um let's see let's done like tamar now tamar if I remember correctly, you find her in the book of Genesis. Tamar, I believe, she was a prostitute. And um there's a whole story in there how she somehow I, I don't I, I don't I don't want to go into it because I I, I I don't want to I don't want to get it wrong. But uh Rahab too. Rahab was a prostitute. Um and then um the she's not mentioned by name but also uh king david's the mother of king solomon she's not mentioned she's not called by her name bathsheba but you remember that king david and bathsheba conceived solomon on a wedlock <laughs> you know so and where's
0: king so is king david on this he, well he, sh- he should see be solomon yeah there's Sal- Matthew. so he
1: would be uh he should be yeah there's david right there Yeah, there's david right there yeah and that, thats the beginning of the uh, of the uh, uh, the Davidic line that leads right to Jesus.
0: So Adam, this is Adam and Eve, right? That'd be that Adam. So
1: yeah, so so basically, you know, you got the gospel. You have, there are two different genealogies here. The uh, the, uh, the the this one, Luke's Luke's gospel, begins with um, begins with Joseph's fa- uh, father, whom he calls Nathan. And it goes on back through the through the tree. He but he traces Jesus' family tree back to God, or back to Adam, and to so, G, the,
0: back to Adam. He's, so he's, is a, is every person on here a different generation, or is it like? A, well, well, so we 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 think that probably um, it,
1: we think that probably it was like uh, it was it was it was edited, because Matthew, um, because the way Matthew has his has his geneal- genealogy, there are three sets of fourteen generations. From, from uh, like, I think he starts with Abraham to David, David to, um, I can't remember who the, who the the second point is, and then then, then the third point to G oh, oh, to the exile in Babylon, and then to Jesus. Luke, of course, like I said, he's, he goes backward from, jo- from Jesus back to Adam. Um, so we, we kind of figure that Luke, that Matthew rather kind of, you know, maybe edited his genealogy. Just so that way you've got three sets of 14.
0: So what would have happened right here? It looks like line of Matthew is broken, line of Mary, line of Luke turns into line of Mary.
1: Let me see here.
0: Let me see if I can. Oh, yeah. Unless it's just a graphical thing <laughs> they just did for.
1: It, it, it's, it's, it's possible. I'm just trying to think.
0: I mean, this is definitely a cartoon version of it. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got little caricatures of everybody.
1: Well, you know, the funny thing is we read Matthew's uh, genealogy every year, but we very rarely read Luke's. Now, December 17th, is uh, when it's on a weekday, we read the genealogy. If it's on Sunday, we, we won't read it then. But uh, Luke's gospel is read after Christmas, and it all depends on when the Feast of the Epiphany comes. So we may, we may hear it, we may not hear it. So uh, we're not quite as familiar with Luke's uh, family, with Luke's uh, version of Jesus genealogy as what Ma- what we are with
0: Matthews. Um, yeah, and th- this one right here, this looks probably a little easier to follow. Let me see if I can make this a little mm-hmm. bit bigger. But, um, so Abraham, th- this, uh, I was gonna say this, just trying to, so Abraham mm-hmm. via Sarah, down to Rebecca, Jacob, and then Jesus is down the line of Leah,
1: right? Be uh, yeah, Jacob uh, from of course uh, Abraham. Uh, God made to made God told Abraham that you'll be the father of, of a of a great nation. Um, and Abraham, uh, God made this promise to Ab- Abraham, even though he was ninety years old, and Sarah, his wife, was not much younger, not much uh, younger, and uh, but uh, but then. Uh, you know uh, uh, but then you know God intervened and Abraham and Sarah conceived when he was a hundred and so they had Isaac and then Isaac uh, married Rebekah and then uh, from this union came Jacob and then or Israel as God gave him the name Israel um, and Jacob had four wives and then uh, and then from the uh, and then from Jacob's first wife Leah of uh, the, for the, I believe Judah. I, I forget which one the oldest was. Well, it may have been Judah. There may be Reuben. I can't remember. But anyway, from the line of Judah comes David, and of course from David, um, that's uh, you go down through the through the long there's long series of kings, um, and then it gets down to Joseph, the foster father of Jesus, and then of course Jesus himself.
0: And I'm reading this this comment right here, but this is pretty much. Of course, this guy says, you know, about David, but it's so Jesus has heavenly and earthly bloodlines. Is why he has Mary and Joseph on.
1: Well, of course. Well, I mean, you know, Jesus. I mean, is is, is I guess his, you might say his heavenly bloodline would would be it would be, be would be because he's you know he's he's the, he's the Son of God. His human bloodline would be from would be from would be would be through would be technically through Joseph. Okay. Now. Um, of course, Joseph. You know, our faith tells us wasn't the biological father of Jesus. You know, we faith, but we believe by faith that Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. But that, uh, but that Joseph, as the adopting father of Jesus, according to the Jewish practice, you know, Joseph became the father of Jesus in every other way, just not biologically. And you know, and you know, being a dad yourself, um, you know. Oh, I mean any you know any any healthy male can father a child, adult male can father a child. Not every man is going to be a good father though. you know having a you know producing offspring and then you know raising the offspring, you know, you know so dad yourself oh, those yeah. those are two very different things. And so um you know Joseph was not the biological father, natural father of Jesus, but yet you know Joseph did for Jesus, for instance, the first thing that That uh, Joseph did for Jesus was, he gave him his name. The angel told Joseph, "You will name him Jesus," and that was that was the right of the father to name the child, and um, and that's why, you know, very often anyway in the Gospels when they talk about Jesus, they call him the son of Joseph or Joseph the carpenter. When they talk about there's a one account when I think it's the Gospel of Mark, where Matthew rather when Jesus goes home to Nazareth. Just to, you know, just to preach. And of course, you know, this is the same Jesus, you know, who grew up there in Nazareth. You know, Jesus played stickball in the streets, you know, with the other kids and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, they can't believe this is a Jesus who's working miracles and, uh, you know, preaching and so on. And uh, people are hailing him as the Messiah. And they say to him, they say of him, isn't this Mary's son? Now, that, that was meant to be an insult. Because when they called you by your mother's name, that was their way of saying, "We don't know who his father is." That was that was, that was meant to be a put down, mm-hmm. you know. Now, of course, as Christians, we would say, "That's no put down," because, you know, as uh, <laughs> as a Catholic, I mean, you know, I believe that being a brother of Jesus by baptism, Mary, like I mentioned a few moments ago, becoming our mother at the cross, Jesus is all, Mary's also my mother so um you know so so uh you know um but 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 jesus would have been called joseph the son of or jesus bar joseph or yeshua bar joseph jesus son of joseph that that's how the, that that's how jewish that's how jewish men were were identified by their by their father so that's so that's why jesus genealogy in matthew ends with joseph
0: it's fun when you. I mean, it. I've never heard the term. Well, you just said like Jesus playing stickball, like playing sports, like yeah, just I, as I, any kid running around doing yeah. stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we 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 have this. We have these these images of Jesus. Um, you know the like. All, you know, all he did was sit in his room all day and pray. And there's no indication of that in the gospels. The gospels don't tell us anything about Jesus's life as a child. But I'm sure that Jesus's life as a little kid was just like it was just like any other little kid. In the, growing up in Nazareth, you know, Jesus had to clean his room and eat his vegetables and eat his spinach and go to school and, you know, go to synagogue on, you know, on Saturday and things like that. You know, we don't think about Jesus that way, um, you know, and of course we know nothing about Jesus' childhood at all from the time he was two to the time he was, we have just have the one incident when he was lost in the temple and he was 12. But beyond that, we don't know anything about Jesus'. All we know is that Jesus, after uh, after uh, after the, uh, of course, the Holy Family had to flee to Egypt because King Herod wanted to kill the baby Jesus because he thought, you know, the wise men show up, the magi show up at his doorstep and say we're looking for the newborn King of the Jews, and King and King Herod Herod the Great, as he was known. As far as he was concerned, he was the only king of the Jews. He was a very paranoid man, anyway. And when he finds out that the these, these magi from the east are seeking the newborn king of the Jews. Of course, he goes crazy, and he sends his men to Jerusalem to kill every little boy two years and younger. holy family is warned by the angel. They, they escaped to Egypt. But after they leave Egypt, they go back to Nazareth. You know, Nazareth was the armpit of the world. You know, um, In fact, when the apostles, we see this in the Gospel of John, when the apostle Nathaniel is called to be uh, Philip, t- I think it's Philip tells him. The apostle Philip tells him, "We found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth." And he says, "What good can come out of Nazareth?" <laughs> you know, so you know. So this is the stock that Jesus came from. You know, um, but we don't know anything about Jesus. Um, you know, about Jesus growing about Jesus growing up. But I ha- but I have to believe that. You know, that Jesus, you know, like I said, you know, that Jesus played stickball in the streets and, um, you know, that, uh, you know, that Jesus, Jesus liked to play with his buddies, play with his friends and along with all the other things that a, a kid in that time would have to do. He probably helped Joseph in the carpenter shop when he got older.
0: What, uh, what, uh, what age was Jesus when in the, from a Bible when, I guess, most of the, the passages were written about him? In his 20s, roughly? Well, according to the, uh, Jesus was, according to what Luke tells us,
1: Jesus was about 30 when he started his ministry. So basically, the first 30 years of his life, we know very little about it. Most of what we know about Jesus from the Gospels is the last three years of his life. From the time of his baptism in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, and then his preaching ministry around Galilee. And according to the Gospel of John, he went to Jerusalem at least three times for the Passover. And then, of course, the final Passover, third Passover in Jerusalem was when he was arrested and crucified. Um, so Jesus'
0: earthly ministry was about three years. Because he was crucified at 33. Yeah. So that's why I, I like I'm 34 now. Mm-hmm. So then when you, you look at that, it's like, because then you, I always you know think about people in history and, uh, you know, we hear of, and this could go back any point in time but when you hear you know your names of history but you may not have mm-hmm. a lot of you know written texts or or anything that show it and then mm-hmm. like you, you mentioned playing stickball like I always go back to like the simple things of you can take No, you know this could be like Leonardo da Vinci this could be you know uh I mean you go all the way back to just different you know rulers different people different and you know, they, it's like, what do they do every day? Like, you know. And, exactly. <clears throat> you know, we don't have, you and I ask, I just asked you about your week. You're like, I did this, this, and this. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we, you know, we don't have those uh, as, as much, uh, you know, historical or, or being written down. But I always find it, it's always funny. Like, it's kind of fun to think about. Like, what what do they actually do? We Absolutely. have the, We have this name. We have this, you know, aura around this person. And if you really strip it down, it's like they were, you know, like I said, they stubbed their toe. They Exactly. You know, they they laughed at jokes. They You know, all these. Yeah. These kind of things. And... You know, we the problem with it. You know, is um, um,
1: well, I mean, you know, first of all, you know, we know so little about Jesus. We, you know, basically, we know we know enough about Jesus for us to get to heaven. Um, and Jesus did, said a lot more and did a lot more than what the gospels tell us. And Saint John tells us at the end of his gospel, he says, um, he says, you know, if all the books. Um, if he said if all the, everything Jesus did, everything he said, could be gathered together, and put into writing in books, he said the world couldn't hold the number of books. So what we have, we just have the tip of the iceberg of what Jesus did, and you know we've always understood this to mean that it's not that not that every, it's not that everything important that Jesus did is can only found in the Gospels. It's that you know what we need to be saved what well, we need to get to heaven, what we need to know about Jesus to get to heaven is in the Gospels. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, so we, but a lot of the, many of the problems is, is that, you know, we tend to, um, we, we tend to think of Jesus and really most of the characters of the scriptures and our saints too, for that matter, in terms of the way we portray them in church. You know, we go into church and we see the pretty statues, and um, you know, you know, you go into you, you go into a you know a Catholic church where we have our statues, and you know, they're perfect. You know, they're flawless. They're cold, they're impersonal, and not a hair out of place. And Jesus was, you know, Jesus is true. He was perfect. He was sinless. But other than that, he was like us in all things but sin. You know, you know um, that you know Jesus. Jesus didn't spend all of his time, I'm sure, preaching and healing and teaching and praying. Jesus was the type of person that always had a crowd around, so that tells me that Jesus was was someone that people were drawn to. And if he was if he was like a statue, a stone cold statue with no personality, with no feelings, no emotions, people wouldn't people wouldn't have been people wouldn't have followed him. They just wouldn't have. You know, Jesus must have been. Quite an extraordinary personality. Um, you know, I, I mean, he must have—he must have been, you know, Jesus, like I said, he was—he was man like us and human like us in all things but sin. And you know the—you know, where does Jesus work his first miracle? At a wedding reception. You know, not not in the temple, not in the synagogue, but at a wedding party. And Jesus and Mary, according to what John tells us, and the disciples have been invited to this wedding. Now, if Jesus was, Jesus was a sourpuss or a sack. you want something like that at your wedding party? There's no way they would. No, and Jesus was there. And I love the way that a movie a few years ago called Mary of Nazareth, which was a beautiful, beautiful movie. And it shows actually shows Jesus dancing at the wedding feast of Cana. We don't think about that. About Jesus dancing, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, in the, you know, in the, in that Jewish, you know, the, like you see the, you know, the Jewish folks are dancing like in the the circle, you know. Mm -hmm. That's how they show Jesus. We don't often think about that, but you know, Jesus was, you know, Jesus enjoyed uh, a, a wedding reception just as much as any one of us do. It's a time to celebrate, time to be joyful, and you know, and. Like I said, if Jesus was some kind, of a, some kind of a sad sack or you know, like a like a black cloud. They wouldn't have invited him to the wedding. He's the last one they would have wanted there. And then on top of it, what does he do? The wine runs out. And Mary says, Son, they have no wine. What does he do? He works his first miracle. And he gives he creates for them 180 gallons of the best wine they'd ever had, because the steward asked the bridegroom, where did this wine come from? Usually people at wedding parties, this is what he says right in the scriptures, is usually at a wedding party, they serve the good wine, they serve the good stuff first. And then when they've been drinking a little bit and they don't notice anymore, then they put out the, they put out the crappy stuff, <laughs> you know? The budget it's, wine. Yeah. The budget wine, like, like the wine in the box, you know? Yeah. First, you know, so, uh, but this is, you know, so I, but, you know, Jesus, Jesus was not a killjoy, you know he was. You know Jesus enjoyed. I'm. I'm sure that. I'm sure Jesus as a little kid was the same way.
0: Do you think there's a little bit of humor to that first one? That his first miracle was like to get the party started, kind of thing. Well,
1: you know, I. I, I think. Uh, you know, I I, I. I. think. I think it's, it's almost right. like a party I, I, trick. It's like, watch well, this. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I. You know, there's there, there's a lot of very subtle. There's a lot of very subtle humor in the gospel. Um. Um, but the trouble is, again, and, you know, and this, I, know I talk about our statues and our, our movies are the same way. You know, um, I mean, I think one of the most beautiful movies about Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth. Robert Powell starred as Jesus back in 77. It's a beautiful movie. Maybe the best one has ever been done about Jesus. But Jesus, he never smiles. He never laughs. You know, I think he smiles once when, when he's around some children. You know, Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor, and I just I don't I just find that hard to believe that Jesus, if he was truly human, would not have. I mean, I know I do know some people don't have much of a sense of humor, but I find it hard that um, that Jesus, you know, Jesus, in order for him to. I think in order for Jesus to accomplish what to accomplish what he did, to take on the mission he that he had from God, I think he had to have a sense of humor. Because so often Jesus like with the disciples, Jesus tells them over and over these things over and over again. It's like they don't listen. And I think, you know, I think Jesus must must have had a sense of humor because there's no way that I mean, I couldn't I couldn't have put up with them.
0: What what <laughs> yeah. what uh I mean I guess talk a little bit more about humor in church. Every every priest I've ever known has has had good humor. I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever had a, a priest that you looked at and like, oh my gosh, I don't want to talk to that guy. They, right, I feel right. like they have all. Um, I feel like it comes with the territory. Do you think it's like? Are you and an, I mean, then I'm going to pick on you here for a second, but you wrote sure. down you're the most boring person in Clinton County. Yeah. So there's some some uh, s- self-deprecation, but I think that you know a lot of it is. I think there's an undertone of a lot of humor. I feel like when I was a kid. Um, I forgot which priests there were but there was a couple priests that would always come out and of course I'm a young kid at this time Right, right. listen to the homily and they would open up with a joke mm-hmm. and those and, and we it was, there was always one or two priests that were kind of in the rotation for subbing that they would show up and I'm like oh great we, gotta we got a sub today which is always a little different you know it's kind <laughs> right. of like a substitute teacher and they would come out and um, and I forgot which priest it was he would always come right to the front he would stand because mo- some priests stand up you know, right. at the podium or whatever mm-hmm. and um, he came right down and stood in front and uh, I almost feel like and this is uh, Sacred Heart, so I feel like he actually stepped down to the same level. Mm-hmm. And but he always opened with a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may it was uh, Father Father Reamer. He used to be at CVPH. It still is. Still is. Mm-hmm. Was he? Was he one? I forgot who it was. I want to say it was Father Reamer. Maybe not. There was always someone that opened up with a joke and was really good, and I always enjoyed it. But um, I felt always, and some of them, some of them were. were you know, I would think would have ties to the church with the jokes, and some of them mm-hmm. really did yeah, They're yeah. just kind of standalone jokes, and they're funny, yeah, but it yeah. caught your attention. And obviously, you know, with public speaking and being in front of people and, and things like that. What, like, do you focus on humor? Do you try? Because obviously, a lot of the stuff that you are involved in, you know, especially with death and and last rites sure. and things like that. There's a there's sure. a morbid part of it, and mm-hmm. you know, do you rely on humor? Is it natural to you? Is it something that you just kind of over time you guys kind of have this brotherhood of just you know kind of busting on each other well
1: i you know i i i mean speaking for myself by by nature i'm 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 an old man um but i i do enjoy i i i enjoy humor and i use it quite often in my sermons and homilies um, sometimes at the beginning is a way of kind of setting the theme other times if i can see the congregation's getting a little tired or a little they start to wilt a little bit that's a good way to kind of bring people back you know and these these are things that um these are these are things you know you tricks such a, of the trade you kind of learn by experience you know you can't um you know you can learn the techniques of homiletics but in terms of in terms of the actual i mean it's, it's like it's like anything i mean you know the Practice makes practice makes perfect, but I found that um, you know that uh, that that a little humor can go a long way in terms of helping to get your point across. Um, so I you know I I try to use humor
0: whenever possible, whenever possible. Um, you know. Um, do Do you think that that's pretty standard across? Across most, most people in the church, most of the priests seem like they. Have... Uh,
1: well, yeah, I mean, you know, most of the priests I know have a, you know, have a have, have a good sense of humor. Whether or not it always comes out in the in their homily, is I don't know, I'm not sure about that. But most of the priests I know have a have, have a pretty healthy sense of humor.
0: Um, now, regarding uh, you know going out and doing you know public speaking or you know giving a homily or a sermon like. What what's the thought process that goes into like what do you want to try to get across and then again going up and speaking in front of mm-hmm. you know anywhere from a couple you know maybe a few dozen people to a couple mm-hmm. hundred people mm-hmm. um, was that something that came easy to you was it was you, no. were you scared of that oh no I I'm very introverted by nature I'm very shy by
1: nature um, but um, but you know uh, after uh, you know the you learn of course. A couple different ways. You learn by watching priests who know how to preach, and learn by priests watching priests who don't know how to preach. In the seminary, we had a lot of priests. They were good men, but their preaching it was very academic, and it didn't mean anything. Didn't mean, it didn't mean anything to me. So I can imagine it's not going to mean anything, you know, to the to the people sitting and most most of the people sitting in the pews, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not. It, you know, I mean, I, I think. Um, I mean, I. You know, for preaching, I think I think what, I think uh, I think a good preacher. I think uh, I think humor is definitely part of it, um, and but I think also you know I think he has to. I think a good preacher, a good homilist, has to try to do the best he can to relate the scripture to the daily life of the people. Um, you know, so giving giving people, you know, you can give people a lot of theology. This 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 is what the Bible says. This is what the church teaches and believes, and so on. We need that, you know, to as as the foundation. But it can't stop there, because it's you know we have to you know we, we have to somehow apply there. We have to you know, we have to, you know, help people see how this impacts their daily life. So you know, so I can get up on Christmas Day and say, you know. At the first Christmas, God became a man. He became a human being. Okay? How does, this, how does this relate to my daily life? You know, so we take that a little further. Well, you know, if God became a human being like me in all things but sin, he, underst- he understands my aches, my pains, my headaches, my heartaches. God can relate to those things. Um, you know, on Good Friday, it's very easy. Because, you know, here's the Son of God hanging on a cross, dying for something that, for, you know, for not, nothing that he did. And, you know, and yet, yet he willingly, you know, we, you know, we see, it goes back to what I said a few moments ago, you know, just the utter, the, just the, what the saints call the insanity of divine love, that God loves us that much or you know, he would suffer. You know, he would willingly die on the cross. You know, we look at Jesus on the cross, and we can say, you know, here's someone who knows. He doesn't just talk about. You know, Jesus doesn't just say, you know, buck up, kiddo. Um, you know, you're, you're having a rough day. He's he's he can say, no, I understand. You know, and every, every every part of his passion. You know, from the from when he in the garden when he's when he sees what's going to happen to him on Good Friday, and he begins to sweat blood out of fear. An actual medical condition. Um, it's been recorded in very, very few cases. But Jesus was that, he was that f- afraid. Jesus knows our fear. You know, when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of the men he called to be his friends, his first, pre- first priest, and kiss, Judas kisses him on the cheek, you know, Jesus can say to us, I understand betrayal. You know, when you, know, when you, when you found your spouse is unfaithful when you found that you know your you know, your business partner has been you know been been stealing from been stealing from the business or you know your, one of your relatives or your friends has stabbed you in the back or you're being used by somebody Jesus can say I understand that and just you know the the physical pain of you know being whipped being scourged being flogged you know Jesus understand you know so someone whose body is being ravaged by cancer Jesus can say I understand that you know being crowned with thorns Someone who's got a migraine headache, he can say, I understand that. You know, carrying the cross. Someone who carries a burden like an addiction um, or like a chronic health condition, Jesus can say, I understand that. Maybe not in the same way, but he understands what it's like to bear that burden. And, you know, being nailed to the cross, Jesus understands what someone who's, you know, pinned to a wheelchair feels like, you know someone who is absolutely, totally vulnerable and helpless. Jesus understands that. So, you know, we can relate those things. We can point to the crucifix in Good Friday and say, this is what Jesus did for you. But but then, you know, we have to take it a step further and, and relate it. Just like all of the the readings we have in the course of the year, we have to try to relate those to the daily life of the people.
0: So I, I got a couple rapid-fire questions sure. I want to ask you. And then maybe a couple Things I want you to kind of build off of, maybe t- towards the end. Um, what's your favorite church you've ever been in? Do you have one? Well, that's I. I sh- is well, that like saying which one's I, your favorite kid, kind of thing.
1: Is yeah, that? Yeah, kind of. Well, I'll tell you. Probably the, uh, the the favorite church I've ever been in, and the, this this is kind of a, maybe it's just an easy cop out for me, but was my home parish back home in Phelps, Saint Francis of Assisi. That's the church I grew up in. I was baptized in, made my first communion in, confirmation in, said my first mass in. So the, the, that, church, that church itself um, is, is is my favorite church building.
0: Well, it, my, that would be Sacred Heart for me. Well, because yeah, it's sacred, exactly. As as I mean, you know, it's, home, it's home. It's your home but church. I also I'm think it—well, yeah, you, you go through all the stages there. Sure. I also think as I was explaining prior, you know, that's where I went with my family. I went with my grandfather. You know, I, I just feel— Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of ties there. We've had— I've been there for weddings, been there for funerals, been there for baptisms. So you know, you, you have a lot of it going on. Um, actually, Fran, have you ever been to uh, a C.C.? I've I've never been to a C.C. I went to uh, I've been to a C.C. I guess it's the Church of Saint Francis, right? Mm-hmm. Would that be the mm-hmm. correct one? Mm-hmm. So I went there, and it was it's a beautiful area. It's kind of in like rolling hills of Italy, and uh, um, but v- very old, but very religious. And I, mm-hmm. I remember getting um, a, a couple things. I went over in high school, and I, I got a you know, I think I, a medallion and some other things from Assisi, but um, that was a very beautiful area. Um, have you ever been to the Vatican? No. Do you? Would you like to? Is that like a?
1: Not really. No. That that's that's not on my um, not on my bucket list. I've been to uh, I've been to uh, I've been to France. I've been to Lourdes, uh, where a lady appeared back in 1858. I've been there a few times. Um, I visited um, I was um, my last pilgrimage was in 2017 and we went to Nevers which is where St. Bernard at Subiru who saw our Blessed Mother Lord she was a nun in that convent it, where's Nevers Nevers is uh, be, it's uh, not it's you but it's, any, a, any but uh, never uh, never with an S in the end yeah and she um, was she was a, she was a, a sister there religious a sister there a nun there and um What's interesting about Bernadette was that her, um, her body is incorrupt. Um, they, uh, after she died in, uh, I think it was 18, was it 1876, something like that, um, she was, um, of course, they buried her in the soil. But then part of the canonization process of a saint is they, you know, they'll, they'll disinter the, the saint to examine the body. Well, she was found completely incorrupt like she'd just been buried that that day. And um, so today, her body, you can go into the chapel in Nevers and you can actually see her. She's in a glass casket. And um, she looks like she's sleeping. It's the the most amazing thing. Other saints, too, have had the same miracle. A lot of them are French saints. Uh, uh, Another one I saw was when I was in Paris, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, but Nevers, where St. Bernadette was, and we got to say Mass there. Then we went to Paris and uh, got to go to um, Sacre Coeur, the Basilica there, and then there on Montmartre in Paris. Um, and, um, and then uh, also to the Rudebach, where uh, Our Lady gave the miraculous medal. And there in the Rudebach, um, there's another incorrupt St. Saint, saint Catherine Labere. Our lady appeared to her in 1830 in that chapel and gave her the miraculous medal um so uh so that was uh that was uh you know, all of those the lords and um Nevers and sacre Coeur and uh the rue de bach they were all very very special places for me to visit but beyond that i'm other than St. Joseph's in Montreal, that's been about my uh, international religious uh,
0: pilgrimage experience. <coughs> and that's, so. This is St. Bernadette. This is actually yeah. right here. Yeah, that's, uh-huh. that's right. Yeah, and, that's why I didn't know that they had that. So anybody can just go up, and, and she's
1: she's right there, and she's you can see it, that's the way exactly the way it is today. Wow! And uh, and don't you dare take a picture. In fact, there's a, of course, now with the age of, you know, everybody's got a camera on their phone, they have it in several different languages. There are sisters who live there in the convent. They were not allowed to photograph her. Well, I was in the chapel one morning saying my prayers, and these pilgrims come in, and they they take their phones out, and and they're taking pictures. Out of nowhere, this nun comes running into the chapel and she's speaking them in French, which I don't understand. I, I All I know is the finger's wagging. So I basically know what she was saying. Because wow. all the phones, they all just disappeared. But uh, they're very protective of her. Um, she still has family who's living. They would Actually, descendants, well, not direct descendants, of course, because she never married and had children, but she still has family who's living in Lourdes who'd like to actually bring her home and bury her in the ground because they kind of feel like she's kind of... Well, um, more, more, more of like a tourist attraction, you know. But the sisters, are, you know, they're gonna—they're not gonna let her go.
0: They're, you know, they're very—they're very proud of Bernadette, and with good reason. Um, I have so many questions. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to wrap it. For you. Sure. I have a lot of questions for you. This—what is? Uh, do you have a favorite saint? Well, um, probably the uh, Mary, the Virgin Mary. Who was the first saint? Was it Mary?
1: Well, um, well, you know, I mean, the 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 I guess the 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 first Christian saint would be would be Mary, although um, you know, of course, the um, for the first thousand years or so of the history of the church, saints weren't techni- they weren't officially canonized like they are today. The, the canonization canoniz- canonization process didn't start, I don't believe, until the Middle Ages, maybe even a little after. Um, but, um, but Mary would certainly be the, the greater, we call her the queen of the saints. She's the greatest of all the saints.
0: Do you have a favorite prayer?
1: Uh, the rosary, the rosary.
0: So the rosary just itself would be The, the rosary itself, yeah. Um, uh, my favorite prayer growing up was, um, was, uh, I'm drawing a blank now. It, Mary, um. Hail Mary. Hail Mary, yeah. yeah, Is is, is it called Hail Mary? Hail Mary. Okay, I was trying to find the title. I Uh can say it, but that was always my favorite prayer. Um, And the, okay, so then do you have a favorite Bible passage? Um, Probably Romans
1: uh, 5, 8. This is how God proves his love for us, in that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us.
0: Now, when you say, so I, I pulled up, Roman 5, 8. Mm. So these are just, a lot of times, just lines. Mm. Very simple lines. Right. How how many do you think you know by off the cuff? Oh, Lord, I don't know. Hundreds? By, like? Probably. I mean, it's yeah. probably probably safe to say. Yeah. You know?
1: I mean, you, you don't even realize that you know them. Um, until, I mean, of course, everybody's favorite is John three sixteen. You know, God so loved the world that. He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him may may uh, may not perish but have eternal life. You know, I don't know if they still hold the John three sixteen signs up at ball games and things like that or not. That
0: that that is the most famous. Hmm. Probably the most famous. Yes, I, I would it's, think it's, so. John. It,
1: it's been called everybody's
0: favorite verse. Yeah, there's so many of them. Yeah. Um, okay. So favorite Bible passage. That was Romans five eight. Romans five eight. Yeah, and that's from the New Testament. That's the New Testament. Yeah. Um, let me see some other semi quick ones. Um, what's your favorite part of the priesthood?
1: Well, offering the daily mass would be uh, offering mass every day, and also hearing confessions. How, how long are confessions typically it depends um, you know most confessions are are just a few moments mm-hmm. but sometimes somebody comes in that hasn't been a confession in a long time and um, and those are my those are by far my favorite ones because um, you know the I one of the, I you know I told my mother one time how much I love hearing confessions and she said, oh, this is because you're nosy
0: <laughs>
1: and I but you know but uh, the one thing about confessions—I've said this before in sermons—about encouraging people to go to confession is, you know, when I when I hear confessions, very often I see people come in, and they're weighed down by guilt and shame, or they're afraid. Mm-hmm. And and then when they—it's like I mean, you can almost see, like you know, they you can almost see the burden, like they're almost hunched. And then when you give them absolution, you know. And they realize they're forgiven. They got a, the slate's been wiped clean, and they, they stand up. It's like they leave. It's like with a. Like you can see the look, like the like you, like they're new people. It's a, it's a, it's one of the most wonderful things that I think a priest can experience, realizing that he's he's an instrument of,
0: of divine mercy. Do you have a preference versus face to face, or what do they call private? Oh yeah, the behind the screen and also
1: face to face. Yeah, I, I think I uh, mean I mean I I mean I I mean I grew up with face to face. I've also been behind the screen. I prefer face to face myself going to confession or on hearing confessions because that way it's more of a, becomes more of a real dialogue with somebody rather than you know just uh, just the disembodied voice coming from behind the screen. You know, I think it's more personal that way. Uh-huh. I I mean obviously that's you know, the absolution given is still it's the same, you know, act of forgiveness and so on. But I I, I mean I, I like I guess I like that per, I guess I like I think it's more personal that
0: way. Do do priests do confessions a lot? Or go to confession?
1: Or no? Well, yeah, I mean I um
0: like if you uh, have a it, friend of yours you go or Oh pre- sure yeah yeah, yeah yeah I've, I've got
1: a, I've, I've got a spiritual director I go to for confession yeah. you know a, a couple times a year yeah. I go you know a couple times a year I go to or you know or sometimes I just need to you know my soul just needs a
0: bath um These might I'm just trying to see if I have any uh, kind of quicker things than I'll what about being a leader? What's your thoughts on that? Being the leader of the parish, being the leader of a congregation, being just kind of looked at for, like you said, people come to you to talk to you, people come mm-hmm. to you to, you know, maybe tell you something they would never tell anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, look for you for guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's that feel like? Knowing that you have a level of leadership amongst a group of people. Well,
1: I mean, it's it's uh, very humbling, um, obviously, um, and you know. I think part of that over time, it's become more manageable because, you know, when you realize all you can do is the best you can, you know, you can, you know, if you, I I think, I think a lot of us when we're first ordained, I think we start off with the idea, you know, that, you know, we're, we're going to be the second coming of Christ almost. And, you know, we, we, have to, we have to save the church. We have to be the—and, you know, and you realize after a couple years of, of that, you realize, no, the church doesn't need saving. Um, the people don't need saving. Jesus already did that. All you have to do is you just do the best you can. And, um, and, you, know, and you know, we have to—you know, we learn how to—we should learn anyway how to rely on God's help I, like I said, Mary's my favorite saint. I look to her a lot for strength and for wisdom and comfort, and you know, just to you know, just to help me, just, like, just to help me do the best I can. I you know, I, I'm I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. Um, and even you know, and even if I were Jesus, um, they crucified him. You know, so I can't expect to be to fear any better than Jesus but all I can do is the business the best I can.
0: Is there, um, actually, I got a question for your father, Ted. So, how, how was your first podcast going? Would this be well, one you could come back on oh at some yeah, point? Ab- absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Because then I don't feel like I gotta like we gotta drink from a fire hose here and try to go through these. Because qu- some of these I would really like to you to you sure. know, build yeah, off absolutely. of, so we won't have time. Yeah, sure. Okay. sure, absolutely. That's good. So I snagged it for another we, one. So
1: we can do a sequel. That's good.
0: We'll do uh, what's it? So we'll do a second? So we like a second book of this. That's you know? right.
1: Like the like the Acts of the Apostles. Yeah, part. we're, yeah, we're yeah. What, Matthew right now. We'll work yeah, our way down. That's so,
0: right. The. Uh, so a couple, then, I'll have some easier questions, and I'll I will save these though because there are some I'd love to uh, ask you. But sure, um, any least favorite part of the priesthood? Uh, the administrative part. Okay,
1: and I that's just because I'm no good at it. Uh, I don't have a mind for numbers. I don't uh, I don't like I don't like preaching about money or talk asking for money. I don't like that. I don't like doing that. Um, I'm fortunate because in both my parishes. And I've, this has been true in all the parishes I've been in. I've always had great bookkeepers and a great staff to handle those reports and juggling the numbers and things. Ultimately, I'm the one responsible. Um, obviously, if there's a problem, and uh, the diocese will come to me. They're not going to talk to the parish council or the trustees or to my secretary. They're going to talk to me. Uh, I'm the one, I'm the one responsible. But it's but it's nice. To, but it's, it's such a freeing thing to know that, you know, I have a staff that's highly dedicated, highly competent, more than competent, and committed, dedicated to it, that I don't, I don't have to worry about it.
0: How, how, many, how many people are on staff at the parish? Are the parishes combined f- totally now? Well,
1: no. Uh, they're, they're, they're separate parishes. The only thing they share is me.
0: Okay. Um, now, in uh, so separate councils, separate finance separate, councils, yeah, right?
1: separate, yeah, separate councils and all that. Separate bookkeepers, separate secretaries, separate maintenance guys, uh, separate DREs, that kind of thing. Separate councils and so on.
0: So, how w- what's the staff like at both parishes? Number of people and oh, kind of job roles. W- well,
1: let me see. Well, now uh, my bookkeeper. Uh, my actually, we both parishes have what they call a pastoral administrator. Okay. They handle a lot of the, uh, like I said, a lot of the the day to day administrative things, you know, like um, you know making just you know making sure the reports, all the financial reports are sent are sent in, making sure the collections counted, deposited, making sure the checks are written and all that kind of thing, the bills are paid. Our um, maintenance men—they of course keep up, you know, with the build, the keep the buildings, grounds, uh, the yeah. grounds, and the snow plowed, and the you know the ice, the icy sidewalks salted, and all that kind of thing. Um, our DRES—they take care of our
0: Sunday school program. And DRES are are what directors they're, of directors of uh, religious education. education okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, you know, so they they they're in charge of you know making sure they're in charge of coordinating our. Uh, our Sunday school classes. So, of course, Sacred Heart, we have them, still have them during the week, uh, release time. Mm-hmm. St. Joseph's, we have them on Sunday after 10 o'clock Mass. So, um, you know, they're, they're in charge of, you know, getting First Communion ready, the Confirmation ready, First Penance ready, that kind of thing, you know, passing on the faith to the kids. So it leaves me, and what I love about that, it, all of that, it leaves me free just to be a priest. Yeah. Um, because that's what I went to school for. Yep. That's, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have any, any, uh, I didn't have any training in bookkeeping or how to fix the furnace or, or, um, you know, um, anything like that. I just, that, that's not what my training is. my And I'm not interested in it. Plus, you know, I can, I can barely keep my, I can barely keep my own bank, my own checkbook, uh, in, in line. Imagine me trying to Take care of Sacred Hearts finances or Saint Joseph's finances. You know what? A, what? A, what an unmitigated disaster that would be.
0: but well, <laughs> um, so, well, I, I I attribute that a lot to like obviously I'm in a business field and same thing. It's kind of like working on your strengths, kind of trying to off you know delegate your weaknesses or things that you either dislike or, or aren't good at, and try to really kind of mm-hmm. tap into what you're best at. Um, t- what What do you do for hobbies interests i know you you mentioned uh and some of this we don't have to go on because I will we'll add it to sure. volume two here but um what, what do most priests do for fun because you know i think well, a lot of people you know just yeah, you, yeah know, well, you see like hey kind of like you said like people think that jesus sits in all sits or, sat around all day and prayed, and pray and and prayed. all day you'll yeah, probably think that yeah. you sit around and pray all day but like do you watch football do you go out to you know do you go out to shows? Do you listen to music? Do well, you, is there anything that? Well, you
1: know, the 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 older I get, the more I the more I'm happier. I'm just just being at home. Mm-hmm. When I was first ordained, I was in Watertown, so I was an hour away from Syracuse, and I was two hours away from my family, so I could go see my family more often. Now I'm five hours away from my family. Most of my family, they're gone anyway. You know, they've passed on. But um, but you know, I used to like to, I used to love to roam the malls in Syracuse. Go I, I just go to Carous- Carousel Mall every week. <laughs> And just window shop and uh, just go to the movies and eat out and stuff like that. But when I got to Lion Mountain, um, of course, you know, (laughs) there you're a bit more, um, you know, you're a bit more isolated from everything. And that's when I first got a dog. And so, um, and so now I'm, tomorrow's my day off. For me, the favorite thing about day off is sleeping in. Okay. I don't like to, I'm not a morning person. Um, and the, uh, the later I can sleep in, the better it is. Uh, the dog will wake me up. I'd rather have dealing with the, the, the four
0: foot alarm clock than my phone, you know, blurring in my ear, you know? Uh, so it, now regarding, um, you know, other priests and stuff, I mean, do you guys, do most priests hang out? Do you have your own circle of friends that are completely out of the priesthood? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I think,
1: uh, I, I think, uh, I, I, th- I, I think every priest. I, I think every priest needs to have friends who aren't who aren't, who aren't who are, who are not priests, mm-hmm. um, because you know it's very. I mean, maybe not so much anymore, um, you know, considering the you know social media age that we're in. But I mean, I think it's I think it's easier if you stay in your own echo chamber you know i don't think that's good for anybody whatever your profession is mm-hmm. you know I, and i think it's important i think for priests to have you know to have friends who aren't priests who aren't you know who aren't who aren't even necessarily religious or necessarily you know catholic um people you can just be yourself with just 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 have a just have a good conversation with just just share a good meal with you know
0: and father Tad, i'm going to what would someone be what's something that you do that someone would be surprised that a priest does and the way i'm saying that is like are you like do you play music do you are you a really good golfer are you a really good chef or is there oh, anything no. that sticks out where i'm no. like oh, i no. like i never thought he would do that oh no i'm not i i
1: don't i i, I don't play golf i never really you know i never really been into sports my, my father never was Yeah. you know i like guess you know, like, uh, like, like a lot of priests, you know, they like they to, uh, you know, like I know a lot of my priest friends in Buffalo. Of course, now they're crushed because Buffalo lost the other day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, the, you know, football, when I was in the seminary, of course, that was a big thing. A lot of the priests. But my father never watched football, so I never picked that up. Um, a lot of priests like to golf. Um and uh, but you know other priests you know they like to you know they uh, one priest I knew he liked to he liked to take art classes um, things of that sort I like I said I I become kind of I'm become kind of a kind of a homebody I'm I'm happy uh, uh, you know for my in my downtime I'm happy uh, I'm happy with a book I'm happy playing with a dog I'm happy falling asleep in front of the te- in front of the television
0: What what uh, what kind of books do you read?
1: Well, it depends. Now, I, I read a lot of history, mm-hmm. um, a lot of Civil War especially. I'm working on right now, one right now about the Battle of Gettysburg that I'm really enjoying a lot. And I read a number of magazines, too, Civil War periodicals and things like that.
0: So it's mostly Civil War stuff. Mostly Civil War so you, stuff. You, and, and again, I'm going to punt keep that sure. off because I do, I do yep. want to ask yep. questions on that. Um, TV shows, movies, like what what's... Well, I, I, I watch uh, I, I watch a lot of news. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the news,
1: um, but most you know, lots of times, and I, I like I like the older sitcoms too. You know, I like I like Raymond. Everybody you knows. I, I, I like Raymond. I like watching Raymond. <laughs> uh, I like- you ever watch The Office? I never watched The Office and I have seen parts of it and snippets of it but I never actually watched it but it, it, everybody, t- everybody tell me it's, it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, it's my favorite show. I just I'm always just curious what like I,
1: I I've never actually I mean I've, so I I've seen some of the memes based on it. Yeah. You know, but I've never actually watched it. Are you a social I, media? I probably should. Are you a social media guy? Yeah, yeah, I do Facebook and I have Instagram and do you Snapchat? Yeah, yeah.
0: But through through the church or no, no, through me. It's really? My personal,
1: yeah, through my personal name.
0: Wow yeah my personal name
1: yep Ted Crosby
0: um, do you follow what do you follow on Instagram
1: well um, a lot, I, I follow a lot, of, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of well history and also um, Catholic things and also a lot of uh, different uh, I'm finding that a, a lot of a lot of uh, dogs now have their own Instagram pages as well <laughs> <laughs> and I I, I I love those Um uh, you know, the you know, how they um, you know, the dog doing something, and of course, you know, they'll they'll have little, little subtitles here, you know, and some of those are some of those are just
0: a stitch. The uh, wait, what's your well, you tell me offhand, you don't. sure, you don't need a bunch. Um, so it's mostly dogs, like memes, anything like that,
1: yeah, stuff like that. I mean, you know, some of it, uh, like I said, a lot of it is news, um, or um. You know, or current events, or like I said, uh, dogs, animals, uh, some civil uh, civil war history, that kind of thing. Religion, you know, Catholic things. You know, um, my Facebook, the same kind of thing. I a lot of my Hank Williams sites are on there. I found a lot of Hank Williams. You said that Hank Williams music? Yep, yeah, yeah, senior, senior, not junior, senior, senior, senior. Okay. senior. Oh yeah, the the, the old one.
0: Um. Any other music, or is it just kind of no? You old, know, white, I, old country I I, I like to I,
1: I uh, you know I mean I'll, I'll listen to I'll listen to old country, listen to old rock, but um, if you if you go home and look at my my CD collection, and yeah, I still a dinosaur, I still have CDs laying around. <laughs> um, it's mostly it's mostly all like nineteen fifties country.
0: Really,
1: that, my father grew up. My father yeah. grew up was with, that was what we listened to growing up, and that's what I s- still listen to.
0: The uh, sort of like. I mean, you're talking like outlaw country back then too, like Willie Nelson, or, like Willie and
1: Waylon, and Whelan, uh, you Merle. know, Jen- yeah, Merle Haggard, and you know, I mean, um, yeah, you know, we, you know, we grew up. I think my dad would put on uh, Hank Williams or Charlie Pride or Hank oh, yeah. Snow or you know, a lot of those guys yeah. from the fifties and sixties. You know, that's what that's what he was. That's what he grew up with. You know, and my mother He's, too. My mother is a
0: bit more. She likes some early rock, like Elvis and stuff like that. Um. I th- I think like I I'm the same. I go back to like I still follow the same bands I did in high school. I don't really know a lot of current event when it comes to music, and I th- I feel like you fall into, you find what you like and you stick with it. I mean, I listen yep. to the new music if they my people that I like the bands I like put music out, but it is not. Yeah, I'm not looking at the Billboard Top Hundred charts right now. Like right, most right. of my stuff, none of my people are making that that uh. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it's just funny kind of what you gravitate towards. I am the same classic rock. Yeah. My mom listened to it, 60s, 70s. Right, right. I listened to almost no 80s. And then early 90s wasn't really my thing. So then it was like late 90s on when I found my music. Mm-hmm. But my old music is like I, I had like a 20-year gap. And then I go back to the 60s and mm-hmm. 70s. And right. like, you know, I just, you know, whether it's the Beatles or Led Zeppelin or, you know. Queen, I love that. Like just a lot of good bands back then that see we enjoyed.
1: Uh, you know, I mean, I, although when we're out, like if I'm, if I'm if I'm out for dinner someplace and I hear like eighties rock, I mean I, that takes me right back. You know, I mean
0: I remember a lot of those. They're like um, Bon Jovi, Bruce Springsteen.
1: Yeah, I mean it's like oh my gosh, that I was in high school when I last time I heard that song. You know?
0: Yeah. Duran Duran, were you like a disco Duran Duran, what's, what's that? Disco, no.
1: No, but that well, was I was. Uh, I remember one time when I was in elementary school, we had a we had a disco dance of some kind. <laughs> but luckily, I was luckily I was kind of the tail end of that
0: right side of history, right? Yeah, thank God, I, I missed
1: I, I missed fuzzy vests and bell bottoms and fuzzy dice <laughs> and all that kind of thing.
0: Well, Father Tad, I'm going to wrap it up there for time, but I will. Like I said, we will bug you again at some point to come back on because I have some stuff I I we just didn't get enough time to go over. But sure. this was you touched on a lot of stuff. This was good. I f- I feel like the history part of it is because you're a history guy. And that's what fascinated mm-hmm. me when you start going through just like even just the Bible books and stuff. It's like a lot of stuff again. It you don't pick up a lot of it as when I was a kid learning it. And, we, and now the thing is with most of the stuff that you hear, you know in Christianity. It is very – a lot of things in life are built off of these ideals. And, and a lot of the stories in the books and in the passages, and, and you mention mm-hmm. it, and you're like, I've heard of that. Or I guarantee you've seen a movie where it's based off of that theme. Right, right. Um, or, you know, whatever it might be. And so I think there's a lot of uh, tie-ins. We'll we'll save that for the next conversation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, um, Father Ted, I appreciate you coming on. This is really you. cool. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Yeah. Not, not bad. You, you, it was okay, first oh, podcast? it was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, now, now you're – a tech guy I was throwing it on the uh, the social media yeah, pages keep, here. Keep, keep. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll wrap it up there. Uh, again, father Ted uh, Crosby from sacred heart church in Chazy, St. Joseph's church in West Chazy. Um, check them out. I do both of them have social media pages. I know sacred heart they do. does. They do. Yeah. Okay. Cause I follow the sacred heart one, but mm-hmm. I wasn't sure about St. Yep. Joseph. So um, check it out. If you want to go hear uh, father, Ted, give you a homily or, or a sermon or any of the other, you know, Confessions? I guess confession, people come yeah, see you? Yeah, or yeah. just want to Absolutely. hang whatever. out and listen to what Hank, are, Willi- Hank are, Williams Sr. Right. with yeah, yeah, Whatever, <laughs> you know.
1: That'll be your penance if you don't like Hank
0: Williams. If you listen to that, the Hank Williams is A couple is of penance. our fathers, right? Yeah, so, a, couple,
1: a couple of our fathers and a Hank Williams song. There yeah. you
0: go. Um, all right. Well, that's episode 256 of the Galen Trombley Show. We're out. Thank you for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. Be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode. You can follow me on all social platforms at Galen Trombley.